your New Testament, just as you pass the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Next one's Acts. And I want you to land right around Paul's shipwreck. Acts 27. There are places in the province, and, and maybe for those of you that have traveled a little bit, especially in the Caribbean islands, where you can do shipwreck tours. And um, it seems kind of, you know, kind of a romantic kind of thing, you know, touring these uh, historical sites under the water where ships have uh, been damaged in storms or have hit reefs or rocks or whatever else it is, and psh, uh, the ship has gone to the bottom. The cargo's gone to the bottom, and unfortunately for some of them, um, the people have gone to the bottom. It, it, it's an interesting thing to tour, and, and I wonder when people do tour the shipwrecks, if they think about some of the men and women, and perhaps even kids, that were on some of those ships when they, when they went down in, in some of these storms and things like that. It must have been a, a terrifying time for them. Paul writes about a shipwreck that he was on. Not the first one. Paul writes in another place that I think that he was shipwrecked three times. You know, three times the charm, right? So, uh, I don't, <laughs> Paul's just picking bad boats to go places. I also want you to think about it in this way, too. Uh, you know, it, it's, famous, it's famous in Michigan, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald and good Gordon Lightfoot, a fine Canadian icon. I'm not much for stomping Tom but I love Gordon Lightfoot. And uh, he sings about that, and the bell rang 29 times, you know, and all of that's got a Detroit heritage, Lake Superior. Uh, we are aware of that. A buddy of mine named Rob, Rob remembers the night that that happened. Uh, Rob lived at the time up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and they have a cottage um, just as you're kind of working your way through the channel to go from uh, Lake Huron um, towards uh, Lake, uh, Lake Superior. He's got, a, he's got a cottage in that area, beautiful little spot. And he remembers that night, and uh, of course, he didn't know anything was going on, you know, miles and miles uh, into uh, Lake Superior. He didn't know that was going on that night, but he remembers the night of the storm. And he said it was incredible, uh, the storm that night. He said at, to that time in his life, he had never quite seen anything like it with the rain and the winds and all of that kind of stuff going on. So you can only imagine how terrifying it must have been for those, even on that big ship, being tossed in a boat uh, on, a, on a lake the size of Superior, as angry as it can get. So Paul writes about his shipwreck. He says this in chapter 27, and I'm going to begin in verse 27 just as it deals with the shipwreck itself, not the events that led to it. But he's on his way to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar, and he's on his way to Rome. So he's got to get there, and he's going there by ship, and he's going there as a prisoner. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed that uh, they were approaching land. Oh, pardon me. Let me begin it. Uh, yeah, that's fine. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. And a short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, from, from the back of the boat, and prayed for daylight. 
In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. Now, think about that. They let the life, the life, the lifeboat down. You with me? You know, the thing that's supposed to save them if all else goes wrong, right? They let the lifeboat down into sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. So there goes their lifeboat. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food that you need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were about 276 of us on board. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. This is their plan. Let's run the ship aground. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them uh, from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim, and that wasn't everybody, to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everybody reached land safely. I, I got a map that I, I want to throw up there. I'm not sure, again, with maps and off pictures and that if you can see them but go ahead and put that map up for me this is this is the the route or the route however you say it that they were taking from over this part in palestine and then up above cyprus into what we would have called asia in those days these days it called turkey and then again they came below crete and then they kind of head out in the mediterranean and they're they're going to to Malta. So that's their journey. You have to remember again in those days that the ships were small, right? They're not like anything that we see today on the Great Lakes or if you've seen some of the ocean liners. I mean, they're nothing like that. I've, I've never been on a, a cruise, um, uh, a ship cruise, but I've, I've been in Florida where those, those cruise ships dock. And if you're fairly close to them, you do this. And I remember the first time I saw them from, from the shore, I, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I've seen them on TV. But when you get up close to one of the monsters, it's, it's absolutely amazing how huge they are. And when you see something like that, you could think to yourself in the 21st century, well, nothing could sink that, right? Like nothing could sink the Titanic. I mean, you know, nothing could sink. They're, they're too big to sink. It doesn't matter how bad the water gets. It's too big to sink. Well, the ships that Paul and the guys were on back in those days wouldn't have been that much bigger than a lifeboat on one of the cruise liners that you see today. 
And, and so, you know, when we're talking about the storms that are raging around them, I don't want you to think of this monstrous metal ship that's getting bounced around. I want you to think of these wooden boats that they built in those days to kind of scurry back and forth across the Mediterranean, always hoping that, you know, that the weather is going to be good. We find out that the weather isn't good. And, and what, I, what I want to do now is just read a little bit more about the storm from verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. This is when it gets interesting. Before, the lo- before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and we could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed the lee of the small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself in order to hold the ship together. Because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. This is where the money is. It's, and so the thing that they were carrying, the people on it were really of no consequence. They would pay a fee to travel on the ship, but the money was made in the cargo. Verse 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, okay? Stuff that you normally need on the ship. They're starting to toss it over. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, and you would have spared yourself this damage and this loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island, and we know that that island's going to be this little island under Sicily here called Malta. Why talk about a shipwreck, and and why talk about storms? Well, it just seems appropriate, considering what some of you are going through these days, that we talk about some of this stuff, because I want to encourage you to give you the help and the hope that God has for you in your words. And so I've got this broken down into, I think, eight or nine or so points, but I'm going to be trying to answer this question for you. How is Paul's ship or Paul's journey like our lives when there are storms? What can we learn from all of this, from the life of, of Paul on that ship with the other 275, with the couple of weeks that he spelt being, spent being tossed across the Mediterranean Sea before he wrecked at Malta. So you, you've got the gist, the background. The Apostle Paul has appealed to Caesar. He's basically on trial for his faith. And he could have got off the hook, so to speak, at the end of all of this. But he had already made an appeal to Caesar, so to Caesar he will go. So he has some Roman guards with him, and he's on his way all the way across the Mediterranean 
to Italy, to Rome, to appear before Caesar, to plead his case because Paul is a Roman citizen. Now, these days, uh, on the bigger ships and so on, if you were going to travel across the Mediterranean, you, you'd probably just leave somewhere along, you know, the coast of Israel or Syria or Lebanon or something like that, and you'd go straight out and straight across. Well, well, back in those days, they couldn't quite be that brave about just going out even in the middle of the Mediterranean because of the size of the ships. And also depending on the seasons. And we know from the story that it's, it's getting past, you know, uh, it's getting into September. It's moving late into the fall. And the weather isn't great in those days. And so they decide to kind of hug the coast. There's likely some stops they got to make on the way anyways. Some things, maybe even some people that they got to pick up in order to make the cargo as lucrative as possible. And then eventually they're going to shoot across and head their way over to Italy. So that's what's going on. That's the plan. So I want to draw some analogies. I want to draw some comparisons of Paul's ship, his journey here, and our own lives. So, so follow along with me. Point number one, like Paul's ship, we find ourselves carried along by the winds of life. You'll notice in verse 7, 13, 14, 15 and 27 of this passage in Acts 27 verses 7 13 14 and 15 and 27 it talks about the winds it talks about winds being strong some of them being gentle and some of them being hurricane type force winds and like Paul's ship we too find ourselves sometimes carried along by the winds of life and some of them are good and gentle. And the, the wind is literally in, in our sails. And we're sailing along as an individual or as a business or as a family or perhaps even as a congregation of believers. It's good. It's gentle. We're going the place that we want to and we're being brought along at a speed we can manage. But sometimes the winds are strong and sometimes they are gale force winds, they're hurricane winds. And in context here, these are talking about the winds that blow against us. Again, you can appreciate back in those days with just having sail power that if the winds weren't blowing your way, you could find it really difficult to make your journey. And in this particular case, we are eventually told that they couldn't head into the winds anymore, that they were too strong. And after a while, they basically just dropped the sails. They put an anchor out un underneath to keep them stable. And they were driven along by the winds. Sometimes we feel that way too, right? It, it isn't that you've done something wrong. It isn't necessarily that you made a mistake. Now, we know in this case, this ship should have never sailed. When they stopped in Crete, they should have stayed there. They should have wintered there, waited till the spring until the winds were more favorable, the currents more favorable, and then headed across. But you know the expression, right? Time is, is money. And they've got grain on board. And so they want to get that to the market as quickly as possible. So they decide that they're going to go across. So Paul told them it was a bad idea. But, but nonetheless, they're on the ship and the ship is, is going across. And the winds are blowing against them. And sometimes to the point where you can head into the wind as best as you can. But sometimes the winds of life just blow us along. You just got to deal with, with what's in front of you at this particular time. Whether it's a family matter or it's a health matter 
or it's a financial matter, or it's relationship. You may have had nothing to do with any of those situations, those storms that have blown up, but nonetheless, you're in the midst of it. And sometimes we head into it as best as we possibly can, and we realize we just don't have the strength to overcome it, so we let it carry us along. But here's the thing, right? We don't always know where it's carrying us. These guys had no idea where they were going to end up. In fact, their greatest hope was this, that they would end up somewhere. They didn't care where. What they were most afraid of, obviously, was just drowning out in the Mediterranean someplace, either being capsized or eventually coming along some island and hitting rocks or a sandbar and being destroyed there. I mean, their greatest hope was hoping that they'd end up somewhere. But they also understood this, that they had no control over the situation. None at all. I mean, there were obviously seasoned veterans on that ship. But they also understood this, regardless of the experience and the strength that they had, they were no match for the storm. Point two. Sometimes we find ourselves in storms. Sometimes, not all the time. But sometimes we find ourselves in storms because we ignore the signs. Sometimes we make trips we shouldn't. Sometimes we make decisions we shouldn't. Sometimes we bring hardship on ourselves. Uh, I want to look at a passage of scripture in chapter 27. It says this in verse 9. As they're moving along. And they've been moving slowly. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. It was after Yom Kippur. It was already mid to late September is what we're being told there. And so here's what seasoned veterans would have done back in those days. If they weren't being driven along by profit, they would have looked at the calendar and they said, you, you know what? It's mid to late September. It, actually, it even could have been October, I think. And, and here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're not going to sail, right? We're, we're just, we're not going to do that. Now, we're not, we're not really accustomed to, uh, to traveling on the water here, but let's talk about winter in Canada, all right? When I was younger, my mom and dad, uh, my mom and dad both came from Oshawa. And my mom and dad would, would say this, you know what? We go and visit the relatives in the summertime, in the heat of the summer, and we never travel on the roads because of, in the winter because of you never know what you're going to get. And back in those days when I was younger, traveling from 69, from Sudbury, uh, you know, down towards Barrie and all that, going along, uh, you know, Georgian Bay there, you just never knew what was going to blow in off the water. And the weather could change just like that. And you could go from nice weather in Sudbury to like a whiteout around Perry Sound or Barrie or, or vice versa. So, I, you know, I noticed very young that my parents quit traveling those roads at that time of the year. But here's when they quit traveling. They quit traveling because they had run those roads back when they were younger and they thought they were like super smart and super brave and you know we're young and we're foolish and we're going to drive the roads and we're going to go and do the winter visits and the Christmas breaks and all that until they had ran into a few storms and they'd been terrified a couple of times and they realized you know what we're not doing this anymore 
And the whole idea was the calendar dictated where they would go. When we were um, transitioning from Sault Ste. Marie to Sudbury to, to start the new work there, uh, we hadn't had holidays that year. So we decided to take some in November. Uh, was kind of the first break we had. So, um, you know, basically broke. So we decided to visit some friends of ours in South Porcupine. Any of you know where South Porcupine is? Just outside of Timmins? So it's November. This is how smart Brent and Karen are. And um, did I mention that we had a child and a newborn? Mitchell was about a month old. Did I mention that? So we jump in the car to go visit our friends in South Porcupine. The reason why we went there is, well, A, they were friends, and B, it was going to be cheap, right? We'd just mooch off them for a while. <laughs> so we head to South Porcupine, and we visit with them for a couple of days, and then we decide we're going to go visit some relatives in Thunder Bay. So we decide to do Highway 11, those of you that know the north, Highway 11 from South Porcupine across by Shaplow, out by Wawa, and then up to Thunder Bay. This is November. We're thinking, we, like we did this. And we hit a wonderful snowstorm on the way up. You know, uh, lost part of the car on the way up. Got there and then went across. And when we got to Karen's aunts and uncles in Thunder Bay, and I still remember they were putting up their Christmas lights. So it must have been late November. We, um, Karen's Aunt Donna, uh, Beth's sister, and Karen went to the hospital with Mitch because he was a month old and he was crying a whole lot. And but did he have a cold or something? Yeah, anyways, we almost killed our kid. <laughs> Again, right? Like, Genius. So these guys know you shouldn't travel across the Mediterranean at that time, but because profit is driving them, they make a bad decision. And this happens to us sometimes. Sometimes because something that isn't necessarily of God is driving us to do something, we do it even though there are signs, which may be scripture or somebody else giving us godly counsel, don't do that or you shouldn't do that or don't do that now. And we do it and then we get ourselves in trouble. And then like these guys, we start you know, wondering whether or not we're even going to survive this now. But we put ourselves in that place. We made bad decisions. Nobody talked us into it. We just decided to do that. And we ignored the signs. <coughs> Excuse me. Number three. We do what we know to do to make things less difficult when we're in the midst of the storm. Here's one of the things that we do sometimes when we're in the midst of the storm. Verse 17, 18, 19, 28, and 40. And I think the notes are behind me, so you can write that down if you want to follow that up later. In the midst of storm, this is what we do. When we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we do everything that we can do. And, you know, other than sometimes getting ourselves into our own storms. Other than that, doing what we know to do is not necessarily a bad thing, right? So they played, with the, they played with the sails, they played with the tackle, they played with the anchors, they tied the rudder, they put ropes underneath. They did everything that they knew to do, that good seafaring people knew to do in order to protect the ship. But at the end of the day, it, it was found wanting because you can't, again, take that little ship put it in the midst of the Mediterranean with hurricane force winds and expect that the ship and you are going to survive. Your efforts just aren't enough. 
The problem with some of us is, though, not only do we try to do whatever it is that we, 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 we think that we should do, is some of us double down. When, when we should start submitting to God and saying, you know what, God, I don't have a solution for this. All of my efforts aren't really getting me anywhere. Maybe I should call on Jesus. Some of us at that point, rather than call on Jesus, what do we do? We dig in even more. There's a pride factor that comes up that, well, you know what, so far this hasn't worked, but I'm just going to keep on trying. And I'm sure with my wisdom and my efforts, if I work hard enough at this, this is going to come around. And God's up in heaven seeing this little ship, and he's seeing these guys work so very, very hard in, in what is best, basically perpetual darkness for two weeks, thinking to themselves, well, man, you know, they're doing everything they can, but you put the little ship and these little men against the Mediterranean Sea and, and, and the storm, the winds that are blowing, and they're really no match. So we do what we can do, but sometimes the things that we do really offer nothing more than marginal help. And it might be good for some of us to think this, maybe I should call on the name of the Lord sooner rather than later. Rather than after I've exhausted all of my efforts and have done everything that I know to do and have called everybody that I know to call and have sought all the wisdom that I can think to seek, maybe, maybe I should call on the Lord now. Number four, at some point when you're in the midst of your storms, you're like these guys are in verse 20, and you think this, this is going to kill me. Maybe not physically like they did, but spiritually or emotionally, that you've been in the storm for so long that your boat, your life has been rocked for so long. You've had so much wind. You've had so much rain. They've had two weeks of darkness. Now, I don't know how many of you have sea legs, but they're in hurricane force winds for basically two weeks. The Bible tells us that they can't see the sun or the stars, so there's complete cloud cover. There's no way for them to take a bearing to figure out, like, where exactly are we? But can you imagine just being bashed around for a couple of weeks in a small boat? Paul encourages them a couple of times to eat. They eventually do. And I'll talk about the importance of taking care of yourself in the midst of storms. But how many of you feel like eating when it's doing this, right? And that's the last thing. At some point, we think that we might as well just give up. What's the point? This is going to kill us. What they didn't understand was they had Paul on the boat. And that wasn't going to happen because God was at least going to spare him. But Paul also reminds them that God is going to graciously give them their lives as well. And it's grace. I use graciously, the word graciously on purpose, because it's grace. I mean, the only, in, the only person of interest on this boat that God was really concerned about really was Paul getting him to Caesar in order to make a gospel claim before Caesar at his appeal. But in God's grace, he saves the others as well. Number five, how is Paul's ship like our lives when there are storms? In the midst of storms, we need to take care of ourselves so we don't become physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. I've got the verses there for you again, verse 21, 33 to 36 and 38, where he encourages them 
to eat. Now again, in the midst of a storm, that might seem like a crazy thing to do. But on the other hand, here's this aspect of it, right? When you've been in the midst of the storm for, for two weeks, <clears throat> and you haven't really had a chance to eat, and you haven't really had a chance to, to sleep or to rest, you become physically exhausted. I don't know about you, but I mean, I find 24 hours without food physically exhausting. These guys have been dealing with this for almost two weeks. When we're in the midst of our storms, as much as we might be focused on what the storm is or who the storm is circling, even if it isn't circling you, but it's circling somebody else that you care about, it's important to understand that in order for God to minister to you spiritually, that you also have to take care of the physical, the emotional, and the mental aspect of that. You need to do whatever it is that you need to do to take care of yourself so that while you're going through these storms that you have the endurance in order to see it through. Because you will see it through. The story's gonna tell us that you will see it through. But, but you need to take care of yourself physically and emotionally and mentally so God can take care of you spiritually. Obviously, that means lots of God time, lots of time in God's word, lots of time at the throne of grace. Even when you don't feel like it, you understand that God's going to work in you and through you when you take those God times. You're going to be out facing the storm, the challenges that are around you. You are going to need to find the respites the times in the midst of those storms to take care of yourself so that you can see yourself through it. Don't underestimate personal care in the midst of storms. Number six, it appears that in the midst of our storms, like here, that sometimes the light will never shine. It's, we're, we're talking about that here in verse 20 and verse 27, where the Apostle Paul or the writer here tells us that there was no way for them to determine exactly where they were because there was no light, there was no sun, there were no stars. But also you can understand the implication emotionally of just always being in the dark. Any of you got issues with like seasonal stuff in the winter when it's dark too long? Any of you want to admit that? I'm like that. Man, I hate January. Right? Sun, sun's not up till 7.30-ish. And then like 5 o'clock, it's, it's gone again. I, I really just like that stuff. I love it when finally, you know, the clocks go ahead and we can start to claw some of that back. I, I love that. But you can imagine what it's like being in the midst where you're not eating and you're not having any opportunity to sleep and it's dark all of the time. Now remember, folks, they're in this tiny little boat. Like, we're calling it a ship. But in today's standards, it's a big boat. And it's not a very big boat. And it feels like sometimes in the midst, and maybe some of you feel like that right now, that you've been in, in the ship, in the storm for a long time, and it feels like the light's never going to shine. This is never going to get better. We all have those moments where we think, I don't see a way out. I don't see a way through this. I don't think there's a light at the end of the tunnel or a sun that's coming up over the horizon. And, and these folks felt the same way. But, but let's, let's keep pressing on. These men also understood this, that when you're in the midst of the storm, it's good to lighten your load. 
Get rid of the other things that would weigh you down, responsibilities or anything else that's going in your life that may detract you from going through the storm. Remember, the storm isn't necessarily ending anytime soon, but you want to lighten your load in order for you to get through the storm. They understood the importance of lightening their ship. They put ropes around it for sure to keep it together, but they also understood that the more that they lightened the ship, the less likelihood that they would be of, of hitting a sandbar or crashing into a rock that they weren't aware of. And so they get rid of everything that they can, the tackle, Eventually, even the lifeboat goes. They eat a little bit, and the rest of the grain goes. They get the ship as light as they possibly can in order to endure the storm. God sometimes reminds us about that, too, in the midst of the storm. The, the storm is particularly difficult. Lighten your load and other things in life. During the storm, only do the things you need to do. We have incredibly cluttered calendars. And we are busy with all kinds of things. And I'm sure some of them are good and some of them are fun and all of that. But if you've been in the midst of the storm, if you've had a storm in your life already, you've, you've understood this, that sometimes it's really important to lighten your load, to make sure that the distractions and the things that aren't really important. In fact, storms sometimes help us to understand what really matters in life. It's one thing that it does is it brings clarity to us. You, you focus on the things and the people that really matter, and you wonder about all the superfluous stuff that you had around you, all of the other things that were going on. And, and it's really good sometimes if you're going through difficult storms to start cutting out the things that you can, getting, divesting yourself of the things that you can so you can focus on yourself and going through the storm or focus on your loved ones or those that are going through the storm and you can be a support to them. And you don't find yourself pulled in other directions or distracted from going through the storm as well as you possibly can. Storms can help us sort that out. That's the eighth point. Look at verse 38. Storms help us sort out what is valuable. What's valuable? Uh, pardon me, verse 37. What's valuable? There's 275 people on board plus Paul. Now the guy that owned the boat, what was valuable? the grain, the cargo. But to Paul and to God, what was valuable? The 276 men that were on board. And some of them were Roman soldiers. And some of them were willing to put Paul to death and for fear of him getting away. But it helps us to sort out the things that are valuable. And you'll find this, that the things that are valuable aren't stuff, they're people. The people. Finally, I realize our time's up. Number nine. Daylight will come. God saves. Verse 39. When daylight came, you can blow right by it. You can blow right by it. But remember, we've just been told that they've been in darkness pretty much for two weeks. Verse 39. When daylight comes. I think sometimes in the midst of storm, daylight comes just like that. You know, when, when maybe when we least expected it, when we were uncertain if it would ever come. But it reminds us there in verses 39 and then some verses previous to that, that daylight comes. 
Even though you are in the midst of storms and it seems dark and cloudy around you and you feel like you're being blown all over the place and you're wondering if you're ever going to survive this, the Bible tells us in verse 39 that daylight comes. Your daylight comes. I want you to stand with me. Michelle, if you would just join me at the keyboard. Michelle's going to lead us in the song called Cornerstone because it's, it's got similar imagery here to the storms and this. But let me just say two things here as I, as I just want you to kind of apply this to your life. At the end of the day, we find out what really matters, right? The ship is wrecked. The cargo is lost. What hasn't already been tossed overboard is lost. But it's the 276 people aboard this tiny ship that are valuable. And God makes sure they're all saved, every last single one of them. They swim ashore, or they find a chunk of wood from the broken ship, and they land at the beach. That's the people side of this. The other side is, is how God strengthens our faith, uh, faith in storms. The angel of the Lord appeared to the apostle Paul and said, Paul, I'm going to save you because you've got to make your case before Caesar. And God has graciously decided to give you the other men, the other 275, even the Roman soldiers. It's a wonderful act of kindness by God. But when we, we look at this, we ask ourselves, well, why did the storm have to happen? Did you ever think about that after reading this passage? Why does there need to be a storm? You may be going through that right now. And you're asking yourself, why does there need to be a storm? Why couldn't Paul just have sailed to Rome? Why does there need to be a storm? There needed to be a storm so 275 people could get delivered. We don't know where their faith journey takes them after that. They're lost to us in history. But God saves them. But for you and I in the midst of our storm, it's, it's, it's a faith journey. If you're going to be strong in the Lord, if you're going to be able to endure, if you're going to be able to go through the trials of this life and come out the other side better and stronger, faith refined as pure gold, there are going to be storms in your life. But God was with them the whole time. And even though it lasted two weeks on an angry sea, the daylight came. And your daylight will come too in God's timing. Your daylight will come too. But, but don't just try to endure the storm. Grow your faith in the storm. Find out what really matters in the storm. People and the growing of your faith. Take time for that. But also understand this, right? In the midst of all of the storms of life, God saves. Not just spiritually, but physically and emotionally and mentally, God saves the whole person. So let's sing the song this morning. And if you are going through a storm, I want you just to kind of throw yourself into the arms of God and allow God by His Spirit to minister to you.